I got special permission from the brothers to not wear a tie. Adrian said it would be okay. Actually, what he said is, if you wear one, you'll be the only one. So I said, well, I'm always looking for an excuse to not wear a tie. So thank you. Uh, so happy to be with you. Um, I've made quite a few trips to South Africa. Is that picking it up okay, Kyle? And uh, <clears throat> usually, um, I spend all or most of my time with the, the uh, full-time trainees, of whom there are many graduates here. And um, so I know a lot of you, but I don't know all of you. I have a very particular burden for the saints in your age group. You're about the age of my kids. And... Um, I came into the church life as a, a young man, an 18-year-old, my first year at university, uh, just a few years back, 1974 to be exact. So I was in the church life as a uh, student. I was in the church life as a young adult. and. Just so you know, I'm just giving you a little introduction. Many of you know me, but you don't all know me. I worked for many years as a chartered accountant, and I have served for many years full-time, uh, more than 20. Uh, so that's just a little about um, me. Uh, I had a particular feeling when uh, the brothers asked me if I could could I come and share with you all? And I said, yes, I have, a, I have a feeling that I would like something I would like to share with you. Uh, I want to keep it very informal. That's why you will notice this is like the shortest outline you've ever seen, right? I, I intentionally did that because I'm not actually here to give you a message. I will cover it, but my real burden is not to give you these points. Um, <clears throat> let's start with this general subject, um, living to the Lord. That comes from a verse. So can we read 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15? Just like to, actually, yeah, let's, let's read those two. Got it? <clears throat> okay. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we have judged that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live may no longer live to themselves, but to him who died for them. So when you look at verse 15, you have to take out a few of the intervening words, but you have this phrase, live to him, 
live to him. And I want to tell you a couple things about this verse. Um, <clears throat> I had uh, a very particular experience in 1978. I was uh, still a student, and I was having a time with the Lord in the morning. And in those days, we didn't have Holy Word for Morning Revival, all, all the things we have today. So I was praying these two verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. And something happened to me that morning which had never happened before and has never happened since. I just, as I read those verses and prayed, I just started weeping and I couldn't stop. And I got on the floor <laughs> on my knees and I told the Lord, Lord, the rest of my life, the rest of my life, from this day, I'm living to you. And, and the next thing that came out of my mouth, I said, Lord, for the rest of my life, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. Then I went to school. I came home that night. I told the elders in my locality, I said, okay, I'm done with school. I'm serving the Lord. I said, all I want to do, I only want to do two things. I want to read the Bible. I, I, I'm a Bible reader. I love reading. I said, only thing I want to do is read the Bible and preach the gospel. That's it. rest of my life. Well, the brothers gave me some good advice. They said, it's probably a good idea if you finish up that accounting degree. I said, I don't need it. I'm never going to be an accountant. I'm just going to serve the Lord the rest of my life. What do you talk? Why do I need an accounting degree? Do you need an accounting degree to serve the Lord? I said, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Thank the Lord for the brothers, huh? They persuaded me. They said, well, and here's something else you need to know. In 1978, in the United States, we didn't have full-time serving ones. None. The only person who was serving full-time in 1978 in the United States was a man named Witness Lee. I don't even know where this idea came to me, but it did. Actually, I know where it came from. It came from 2 Corinthians 5. And... Well, I finished my degree, and then I started working as an accountant because, like I say, in those days, that we didn't have full-time service. Then guess what happened? 1982. My wife and I got married in 1980. 1982, I go to a conference. Brother Lee is sharing. He says, Please turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. And in that message, he said, these two verses describe what it means to serve the Lord full time. 
Can you imagine how I felt? Can you imagine? I'm the only one in that room who knew this secret, that the Lord had called me to serve Him using those two verses. And now, here's Brother Lee saying, this is what it means to serve the Lord full time. He said, it means you live to Him. You live to Him. And then he went further to say, if you have a job and you live to Him, you are serving Him full time. There's no such thing as a part-time Christian. And he said, if you do not have a job, but you're not living to him, you are not serving him full time. Do you follow me? I, I have not worked as an accountant for many years now. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm serving him full time. I'm only serving him full time if I'm living to him. And when I had an accounting job, that doesn't mean I wasn't serving him full time. I was living to him at my accounting job, so I was serving him full time. I hope this can uh, impress you. So that's the, that's the general subject that I want to fellowship with you this weekend in the short time we have together. Um, what does it mean? What does it mean to live to him? And the context of these verses, 2 Corinthians 5, is the Lord's love constrains us. That's what brought me to tears in 1978, was the love of Christ constrained me. Uh, yeah, verse 14. After the love of Christ constrains us, <laughs> I tell you, I have never ever wanted to do anything else but live to Him. From that day, from that day. Uh, you may not have that exact experience, you probably won't. But I hope you do experience the constraining of the Lord's love. I hope you do. Because it's not by our determination. We can't just say, yeah, I, I'm going to do that. Um, you know, let's face it. It's not that easy in this world that we live in to live to the Lord, is it? It's not that easy. And I'm if you, take, if you choose the path that I chose, let me tell you, it's not easy doing what I do. I'm not complaining. I absolutely love it. But if I didn't have this kind of vow with the Lord, like the song said, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, <clears throat> Now, this 
this first point, can we read Roman numeral one together? This is a very brief outline, but this is an important word. Can we just read that together? The normal. Okay. The normal, the normal life of a Christian is the exact opposite of what you see. And what do we see in the world? Well, we see people living for all kinds of things. We see people living for money. Actually, money is the God of this world. That's why the Lord said you can't serve God and mammon. They're two gods. There's God and then there's that God. You see people living for pleasure. Lots and lots and lots of people living, living for pleasure. You see people living for themselves. Me. Myself and I. That's my divine trinity. Me, myself, and I. That's who I serve. Uh, you see people living for all kinds of things, don't you? <clears throat> In the training that we had on the book of Numbers, did you hear that? Uh, Brother James Lee gave a message about how, how the Israelites encamped around the tabernacle. Do you remember that? And how did they do it? All of them faced the tabernacle on all four sides. You know what that means? The world was behind them. Their entire focus. They, they had nothing to do with what's back there. Here's the tabernacle. Their entire focus is right here. Right in front of me. And what does that tabernacle signify? Well, firstly, it signifies Christ. Secondly, it signifies the church. That means they lived a life focused on Christ and the church. And with total disregard for the world. That's a normal life. That's a normal life. Anything else is abnormal. Man, that's too much. No, it's not too much. It's normal. It's normal. Uh, I just finished a training class with uh, two weeks on uh, the experience of Christ as life. And one of the chapters in that book called uh, Basic Lessons of the Experience of Life, there's a chapter called Dealing with the world. Dealing with the world. Have you read that one? And I like it so much. And I, did I put it on here? No. Uh, because <clears throat> that word, world, 
it doesn't refer to the God-created earth, does it? No, it does not refer to what God created. The world signifies Satan's kingdom, Satan's authority, and let me tell you where it came from. It was invented by Satan. God didn't create it. You know where money comes from? Satan. Say, no, 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 Brother Mark. It comes from the South African Treasury. They print the, the rands there. No, they don't. It comes from the devil. There was no money in the Garden of Eden. Before man fell, he did not sell himself to a job for money. No, that was Satan's idea. So here, let me tell you the origin of the world according to Genesis chapter 4. Let me read it to you. It's impressive. You want to know where the world came from? I can tell you it's recorded in the Bible. By the way, everything important is in the Bible. You want to know where the world came from? It's right here. It's right here. Well, let's start with Cain. Adam and Eve had three boys. Two of them followed Adam and Eve. The other one did not. And the other one, Cain, was the inventor of something that is now a part of the world. Do you know what Cain invented? Religion. Cain invented religion. Oh, he also invented murder, because religion and murder go together very well. They're really, they're not a strange combination. Adam and Eve fell, and God clothed them with the skins of an animal, meaning God's way of redeeming and saving man was through the shedding of blood. But Cain said, no, I got my own way. I'm going to do it with vegetables. I'm going to offer those. God said, no, I don't want that. That was, that's religion. Now you know where religion came from. It came from the murderer, Cain. And the New Testament tells us Cain was of the devil. So where does religion come from? Let me tell you, religion is the very, very, it's Satan's masterpiece. That's what religion is. God's masterpiece is the one new man. Satan has a masterpiece, religion. You know why? It's so close. You know what he Listen to what Satan told Eve. If you eat this tree, you're going to be like God. Did God, did God really say, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that? And she said, yeah, he really said that. But then 
she quoted what the Lord said. She, she told Satan, she said, he told us that if we eat it, we're going to die. Now comes the lie. You shall not die. That's what Satan told her. And then he said, don't you want to be like God? God doesn't want you to be like him. That's why he told you not to eat that. But if you eat it, you'll be like God. Oh, wow. So we're talking about God? That's got to be good. And we're talking about being like God? That's great. Oh, man. Let me ask you a question. Is, is God's economy to make us like him? Oh, and then Satan told her what it means to be like God. You'll know good from evil. Because this is the good and evil tree. Eat that one, and you'll know good and evil. That sounds good. Sounded good to Eve. It sounded good to Eve. So that's why I say, you can say Cain invented religion. Actually, Satan invented it. In the Garden of Eden, he invented a substitute for God called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan, being a child of the devil, developed a system of religion. Let's grow stuff and offer it to God. Sounds really nice. I mean, we're offering it to God. What's wrong with that? Hmm. Now you know where that part of the world comes from. But let's go on to see where the rest of the world comes from. So Cain falls. Now we are in Genesis chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. And Cain went forth from the presence of Jehovah. Okay, here comes the world. He left the Lord. He left the presence of the Lord. He left the garden of the Lord. He left Eden. Eden means pleasure. Man had everything he needed in Eden. Everything. He did not work. He did not make money. He did not sell himself. God was there. He had everything. He had everything. But then he left. He left. He went out from the presence of Jehovah and dwelt in the land of Nod. That name means wandering. He wandered away from God, east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built, Cain that is, built a city. Where do cities come from? Satan. They do, including this one. God, did God ordain cities? No. The only city God cares about is the New Jerusalem. 
which is not a physical city. Where do physical cities come from? They were invented by the devil. And he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So the first city on earth, the name of that city was Enoch. Actually, Cain, it was really a monument to Cain himself. He did, instead of calling it Cain, he called it Enoch, after his son. Then, instead of living in a garden with God, now man is living in a city. And he needs food. So where's he going to get food? So now he has to have some industry. Right? So verse 20, I'm skipping a couple verses. And Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and raise cattle. Did Adam and Eve have a tent in Eden? No. Did, did they raise cattle? No. Why now does man have to do this? Because he, he's got to eat. And he's got to provide for himself. He left God. Now he has to provide for himself. Okay. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Musical instruments were invented by Cain and his family. You know why? They lost God. They lost God. So you got to have entertainment. Got to have pleasure. Like I say, Eden was pleasure. God was their pleasure. Now God is gone. I got I need entertainment. What am I going to do? Amuse me. Entertain me. Make me happy. So musical instruments were invented. It's not over yet. And Zillah also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of every cutting instrument of bronze and iron. Weapons were made. Did they have guns and knives in the Garden of Eden? No. Didn't need them. God was their protection. God was their provision. God was their pleasure. And God was their protection. When they lost God, they have to do all those things for themselves. Get my own provision, get my own pleasure, get my own protection, so that I can live a life completely without God. That's what it's for. Now I can live a godless life. I don't need God. That's what it was for. Brothers and sisters, we got to go back to Eden. <laughs> we got to get out of this, this city and we need to go back to Eden. I mean, you want that godless life? I don't want it. I don't want that godless life. 
everything in the world is part of Satan's system. Everything. That's what 1 John says. The whole world lies in the evil one. The whole world. Every bit of it. Satan is never called the king of the earth. He's not. He's the king of the world. The world is his kingdom. So if you want to live in that, see, if I, let's suppose that I want to live in South Africa. I don't. Nothing personal. But if I wanted to, then I'm going to have to subject myself to the rule of the government of South Africa. Right? If I want to live in the world, I need to subject myself to the government of the devil. He's the king. And if I want to not live in the world, what can I do? I got to get back into the kingdom of God, where God is the king. That's my only, that's my only option here. Because uh, I don't want to live under Satan. Do you? I do not want to live under him. And I did. I didn't become a believer until my first year at the university. My father passed away when I was 13 years old. My mother became a widow at the age of 39 with nine children. So I just use your imagination. I got into lots and lots of trouble between the age of 13 and when I finally when I finally received the Lord. And so I did have my time living in the world, and oh boy, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. I don't like the devil, and I don't like his system. So now we know the origin of the world. We know where it came from. We know the purpose of the world. The purpose of the world is so that I can have a godless life. But actually, it's a deception. The world does have a God. It's the devil. It's the devil. He is their God. You say, I don't worship Satan. Well, if you serve mammon, you do. That's, that's what you're doing if you, if you serve mammon. So does that mean, are you going to ask me now, well, what are we supposed to do, Mark? Quit our jobs? Burn our, our rand in the fireplace? No, no. We can't do that, can we? So you know what we need to do? We need to be like Swaziland. A country within a country. We live in the kingdom of Satan, but we're the kingdom of God. We're Swaziland. We're not South Africa. You, you understand my analogy? Yeah, I got to live in this place called the world, but I don't have to be part of it. 
I do not have to be part of it. I can live in this place in another kingdom, in my spirit. I can still go to do a job. But while I do that job, I'm not serving a man. I'm not serving my boss. I'm not serving mammon. I don't live for that. Therefore, if that job that I am doing interferes with me enjoying Christ and the church, I quit. I quit. I quit. Because I don't live for that job. When I was working as an accountant, one day, Got a big promotion and it's actually the reason I moved I was living in Anaheim it's the reason I moved to Seattle where I live now it's for that job when I got to that job and started working there um, crazy the hours I was the chief financial officer for this pretty large company and I was working crazy hours and you know I was top management the only person above me was the president I went to him one day I said uh, I said listen I got I have young kids, and I told them, I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a believer in Christ. Christ is the most important thing to me. And, and you know, talking to an unbeliever, so I said, and, 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 and my church, my church is very important to me. I said, I can't, I just simply cannot give you this many hours in a week. I can't do it. He says, I do it. I said, yeah, I know you do. He said, everybody here does that. I said, not me. I said, I need to hire some people so that I can work a reasonable number of hours. He said, no. I said, okay, I quit. I'll be out in two weeks. I will be gone. That's a very good job. Paid a lot of money for that time. I mean, that was quite a few years ago. It wouldn't be a lot of money today, but it was then. I quit. If my job keeps me from serving the Lord, guess what? It's the wrong job. You can always get a job. That's the wrong job. So this is what I mean when I say we can live, we can still do a job, we can still earn money, but let's talk about earning money. I want to give you my own testimony, and it's true. Uh, when I quit that job, you know what happened? I went on job interviews, and I did the dumbest thing you could ever do on a job interview. You know what I did? After they wanted, after we established a rapport and I knew they wanted to hire me, I would say, uh, one thing you need to know, I only work 40 hours a week. That's it. 
not a real good way to get a job. So I came, you know, I had all these different job offers, but as soon as I told them, I, I work 40 hours a week. I, I got way too much to do. I said, listen, while I'm here in this office, you will have 100% of my time. I'm not going to be playing on the computer. I'm not going to be goofing off. I'll work hard. And I'm really good at what I do. But I only work eight hours in a day. That's it. And I don't work on the weekends. Man, I had trouble getting a job. And I had just left a job that was really good. Well, anyway, I found a job. And it didn't seem like it was going to be a very good job. But anyhow, the owner of the company agreed that I could work eight hours a day. So I started my new job. And I told you, and I really mean it, I had no heart. After 1978, I never had a heart for career, money, job, but I, but I still did it, and I did it well, so I was very successful, but, but my heart was never in it. So anyway, I start doing this job, and I realized my boss is an unbeliever. Everybody in my office are unbelievers. I'm the only Christian in this office, and, you know, it's a work setting. You got to be a little careful in a work setting, right? But you know, I I didn't make a secret out of the fact that I was a Christian because I did have my Bible, my recovery version, the big one, sitting on my desk every day. And while my coworkers went to lunch, you know what I did? I ate my lunch in five minutes. And then I read the Bible for 55 minutes. And my coworkers, you know, they would ask me, hey, you want to come to lunch with us? I said, nope. And uh, eventually they started mocking me. Uh, don't, don't ask Mark to go with us. He's got to read his Bible. I said, yep, that's right. Have a nice lunch, guys. See you in an hour. And I prayed. I prayed for that company. I prayed for the people. Guess who the first one to get saved was? The owner of the company, my boss. He was an atheist. And he came to me one day. He said, Mark, the company was losing money when I hired you. He said, ever since you got here, we started making very good profit. And then he said to me, my atheist boss says to me, I think it's because of you. I said, no, you're wrong. It's not because of me. I said, I prayed for you. And God blessed you because of me. God did it. He got saved and baptized. 
Now, let me tell you what happens next. My boss, the former atheist, says to me, Mark, he, you can imagine, he appreciated the fact, number one, that I prayed for him, that I brought the Lord to him. He also appreciated the fact that he was making a lot of money. <laughs> Listen to what he says to me. After he gets saved, he says, Mark, Mark, Mark. From now on, I'm turning the company over to you. You're the president. Do whatever you want. He said, do whatever you want. No, I'm, this is a real story. I was like Joseph in Egypt. He said, from now on, I don't care when you come in. I don't care when you leave. I don't care if you even come to the office. I, do whatever you want. Just do whatever you want. He said, make sure that the company makes money. And then my boss says to me, and make sure you have time to serve the Lord. <laughs> my boss said that to me. It's a true story. I said, thanks, boss, because I need to go to Russia next week to visit the saints. That was my first trip to Russia. Uh, you know what happened? The less I worked, the more the company made. <laughs> and pretty soon, they were paying me a ridiculous amount of money to do almost nothing. And I'm very happy to tell you, I don't have one cent of that money today. I gave it all away. Only thing I kept was enough. I'll tell you something else. I never changed my lifestyle. I didn't buy a big house. I didn't buy a new car. I didn't buy fancy clothes. If they gave me more money, that means I'm giving more money to the church because I don't need it. I got a house. It's not a great house, but it's okay. I got a car. It's not a great car. I mean, it's an old Honda, but, you know, it gets me to the meetings. It gets me to the office. I got clothes. They're not great, but they're okay. So, every time that he gave me a raise, I just gave it away. I never changed my lifestyle. And then when it came time 20 years ago to quit that job, let me tell you how it went. The co-workers called me up. I was having lunch. They interrupted my Bible reading. <laughs> it's kind of rude, isn't it? Interrupt my Bible reading? But they did. They said, Mark, you need to quit your job. I said, why? They said, well, we need you to travel more for the ministry, and um, you're, you're not going to have time to, to do it if you keep that job. And I told the co-workers at that time, I said, brothers, you know, I really don't work much. And they pay me a lot to not work much. I said, maybe I should keep the job, because... You know, I'm able to give. I'm able to give. 
and I'm able to give much, 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 much more than the average saint. So maybe I should just, I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll just keep the job and I will pay for another brother to serve full time to travel for the ministry because I can. They said, no, 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 no. We, we want you. I said, okay. Why they wanted me, I have no idea. Um, so I call my wife. I say, dear, your brothers want me to quit my job. She says, you better do it then. That was the extent of the fellowship that my wife and I had. I'm, and I'm not exaggerating. That was the extent of it. You say, man, you're not spiritual at all. Didn't you pray? No, I didn't pray. Didn't need to. I prayed plenty before that. <laughs> I didn't need to, and I didn't, it was not a difficult decision. I said, okay, let's go. And I haven't worked at a secular job since. Bouncing around the earth. Before this, I was in Paraguay. Before Paraguay, I was in Russia. After this, I go to Anaheim. From Anaheim, I go to the Philippines. From the Philippines, I go to New Zealand. That's what I've been doing for the last 20 years, and that's what I do today. And um, I made this decision in 1978. I never thought about it again. Don't need to think about it. Don't need to think about it. And before my wife and I got married in 1980, I made what I like to call the least romantic proposal in the history of mankind. <laughs> I was with my wife-to-be. She was a sister in the church life. That's where I met her. I met her in the church life. She came into the church life in 1977. This was 1980, and I told her, I said, uh, Karen, that's her name, I said, I, I'd like to get engaged to you, but before we can do that, there's three things you need to know about me, so you're probably not going to want to get engaged once you hear these three things. This, I'm telling you the honest truth. I said, the first one, I said, right now, I'm working as a chartered accountant. It's a really good job. But I have absolutely no intention of keeping that job. And then I told her, I, I told her what happened to me in 1978. I said, I don't know when, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to serve the Lord full time my whole life. So, number one, you will be poor. You will be poor. It gets worse from there. The second thing I told her is, I said, uh, <clears throat> we were living in Anaheim at the time. I said, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to be serving the Lord my whole life, we probably won't live in the United States. 
So you're going to have to be willing to live anywhere on the whole earth. Swaziland, <laughs> China, Russia. That's what I told her. India. Now that would have scared off most sisters right there. I mean, that's two big strikes against me, but it gets worse. It gets worse. I said, the third thing that you have to understand about me, you will never be first. You'll always be second. Christ and the church will always be first in my life. You will never be third, but you will be second. And then I told her, and I cannot be first in your life. I can only be second. Now that would have scared off 99.9% .9 of the sisters. But my dear wife said to me, that's how I want to live. That's how I want to live. I said, you are the girl for me. Let me put this ring on your finger. Everything I told her came true. Two years later, I quit my job. Started serving full time. Then in 1986, I told her, uh, dear, we got to move to Taiwan because uh, I got to serve in the training over there. It's the beginning of the full time training. The first one was there in Taiwan in 1986. You're getting bored or tired? Okay. Um, she said, I don't want to live in Taiwan. I said, hey, we talked about this in 1980. <laughs> she said, yeah, we did, didn't we? <laughs> the question I am asked the most often these days, people ask me, how in the world, oh, the world, how in the world do you do what you do? I said, very simple. I married the right person. I couldn't be here today if I didn't have the wife I have. You think No woman would put up with what I do. But my dear wife, if you ask her, she will tell you two things. She'll say, number one, I love my husband. And number two, my service to the Lord is to have him serve full time. That's what she would tell you. And the third thing she would tell you is, it's been this way for 39 years. It's never been any different. We've lived our whole life this way. I say, man, you're just crazy. You're extreme. No, I'm not. This is a normal life. This is normal. What's abnormal is what you see in the world. So here it says, we have to be the opposite of the world. Now, on the outline is Exodus chapter 4. I want to tell you, I won't read it, but I'll tell it to you. God came to call Moses to do what? What did God call Moses to do? Get his people 
out of Egypt. In the Bible, Egypt signifies the world, not not the Egypt that's a country in North Africa. That, that you know, we have we've got a church there in Cairo. So, but the spiritual significance of Egypt in the Bible is the world, and God calls Moses, and He's going to use this guy, Moses, to take his people out of the world. So what does Moses need to do? He needs to get out of the world. He can't lead God's people out of the world if he stays in the world. So God gave this man, Moses, three signs. Three signs. He says, take some of the water from the Nile River and pour it on the ground. Moses, it was blood. It looked like water. When he poured it on the ground, it was blood. Then he said, Moses, take your rod, your staff, that thing you lean on when you walk, throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. By Moses, I'm like, what, what's going on here? Blood? A snake? And then he says, Moses, put your hand in your bosom, your heart, and now take it out. Leprosy. Leprosy. So these three things were how God educated this man who's going to lead his people out of the world. That's how he taught Moses what the world is. What the world is. Number one, the supply of the world. That's the Nile River. You know, the Nile River means everything to Egypt. It's, it's, it's important. The supply of the world. It looks like water, it's death. It's blood. You know whose blood it is? Yours. Yours. And that thing you depend on, that education, that PhD, that job, that career, it's a snake. It's a snake. You got to know that. I'm not telling you to not do it. I'm telling you, it's a snake. Be careful with a snake. And that part of yours that thinks the world is so great is full of leprosy. That's how God trained Moses. And then you know what he told him? He said, okay, now pick up the snake by its tail. Nobody was, if I'm Moses, I'm like, come on, Lord, give me a break here. Everyone knows you do not pick up a snake by its tail because its head is then free to bite you. But Moses picked it up by the tail, and guess what happened? It became a rod again. Here's the significance. 
you and I, we need to handle our job, our career, our education, our marriage, and our family in the exact opposite way that the world does. The exact opposite. They pick up that snake by the head, we pick it up by the tail. And, and, and the worldly people go, man, you are so stupid. Don't you know you don't do that? Say, yeah, I do. I do. I pick up the snake by its tail. When I quit my job the last time to serve, I've gone back and forth a few times. The first time I quit my job to serve was 1983. I told you about the last time. The last time, there was a dear brother in my locality who was a doctor. And not just any old doctor. He's a world-famous neurosurgeon. He might be the best neurosurgeon in the United States. He makes an incredible amount of money. And he came, he called me, he says, Mark, come over to my house for dinner. I, 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 you know, you and your wife, let's have dinner. I say, okay, great. I go to his house, big house, really big, really nice, you know. Uh, his, his and hers BMWs in the driveway. I mean, their cars cost more than my house. And uh, he says, Mark, we're having dinner. He goes, I'm a little concerned about you. He said, you, you know, you got two kids. I said, yes, I'm aware of that. And he said, um, you got a good job. I said, yeah, I'm aware of that. He said, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you should quit your job to serve full time. And then he said, aren't you worried? Aren't you worried? I said, not until I talk to you. <laughs> I said, no, what, what, what am I supposed to be worried about? He says, how are you going to pay for your kid's education? How are you going to retire? You know what I told him? I said, I'm worried about you. Because my plan is so much better than yours. Your plan all depends on you. My plan depends on God. I think I have a much better retirement plan than you do. I said, you're, what you're going to try to do, this is what I told him, I said, what you're going to try to do is you're going to try to save up a big pile of money and then retire. At guess which story I told him from the Gospels. Can you guess? The man who built bigger and bigger storage for all of his wealth and food and dies. And all of that goes to someone else. I said, that's the track you're on. I said, I, I, I'm the one who should be worried about you. You don't need to worry about me. I'm going to be just fine. 
and I am just fine. Somehow, it all worked out. I got my two girls through very good university. Uh, and I have a very different definition of retirement than his. I said, brother, I said, here's my definition of retirement. I said, oh, I said, I said, your definition of retirement, yours, is I have so much money that I don't have to work. That's your definition of retirement. I said, let me give you mine. My definition of retirement is you get to use your time to do whatever you want. That's my definition of retirement. So I told him, I'm retired, man. I'm retired. Because I'm doing exactly what I want to do with my time. Exactly. You know, I have four siblings who are older than me. They're all, they're all men. I have four older brothers. Can you imagine? Or as I like to say, I have four older brothers and I have the scars to prove it. All four of my older brothers are retired and all four of them are bored out of their mind. I mean, they talk to me about it. They're like, yeah, you can, and you can only play so many rounds of golf. <laughs> They're bored silly. And they, and, they, and, they, and they talk to me, they're like, man, you, you, you're actually doing something worthwhile with your life. We're, we're just playing golf, and we don't even like it anymore. I said, that's right. I tell them, and they, ask, they also asked me, when are you going to retire? I said, oh, I retired a long time ago, long, long time ago. Okay, so you get the point. The normal life of a Christian is the opposite of the world. Number two, the normal life of a Christian is a life of being constrained by the Lord to live to the Lord. Living to the Lord is deeper in significance than living for the Lord. All believers would say, I'm living for, for the Lord. Living to the Lord is Paul's word. I always tell the trainees, I say, in the next age, I'm very anxious to have some fellowship with two brothers, Paul and John. I have one list of questions for John. I got another list for Paul. And one of my questions for Paul is, Paul, what did you mean to live to the Lord? Where did you get this thought? We only know about living for the Lord. But you use this word, living to the Lord. Living for the Lord implies that I and the Lord are still two. I'm living for Him. He's there, and I'm living for Him. Living to the Lord indicates that I am one with the Lord as the wife is one with the husband in married life. Very different. Uh, let me tell you the secret of a happy marriage. Don't live for your husband or wife. Live to them. 
closeness to them. Uh, you say, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I did everything for you. I gave you all kinds of things. I lived for you. You're probably going to get divorced. Live to, live to your spouse. You'll never divorce. Now, number three. How can we serve in the church life? How can we have a normal service? I know, I know, all of you are busy. I know this. I worked at a very, very, I, I told you the end of the story where I didn't work much at all. But I was the president of a pretty large company. I had a very demanding job. And I was an elder in the church and a co-worker, and a husband, and a father. It's like, okay, can we add some more hours to the day? Because 24 isn't enough. I can't do all of this in 24 hours. Do you ever feel that way? Let me tell you the problem. You've got to change everything. You got to pick that snake up by the tail and you'll 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 have time. I'm going to give you a a little preview of the last message. The question I'm most often asked by saints in your age group is how do you balance this? How do you balance a job, a family, the church life? How do you balance it? And my answer is, you asked the wrong question. The Bible doesn't tell us to balance. What does the Bible tell us? Prioritize. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It doesn't say seek only the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The kingdom of God is the church. His righteousness is Christ. Put Christ and the church as the top priority in your life and in your marriage and in your family, and in your job. Put Christ and the church at the top. Then, what's the verse say? Everything else is added to you. If you do that, I assure you, you will have a normal human life. You'll have a happy human life. Have you noticed that the people who live in the world are not happy? They are not happy. How could they be? They're slaves. They're slaves to sin. They're slaves to Satan. How, how would you be happy? You put Christ at the church first. Oh, man, it's great. So here's my word to you as working Saints, you need to prioritize three things. 
And it's up to you how you do it. It's up to you. But here's the three things. Your job and or career. Your marriage and family and the church life. What, what order, if I was going to prioritize those three things, I already told you what number one should be, should be Christ and the church. What do you think should be the second after Christ and the church? What's your priority? I'll tell you mine. My marriage and family is number two. Guess what's number three? Job. Who cares about the job? Always get a job. I can't get another wife, though. And I can't get any more children, not at my age. And I can't get another Christ. I can't get another church life. I could always get a job. You know, that's the great thing about being a chartered accountant, man. You can get a job so easy. <laughs> I never, ever, ever had trouble getting a job. Therefore, I never had trouble quitting one. Hey, here's a newsflash for you. As soon as they want to, they're going to fire you. They're not loyal to you. They're not. So why should you give everything to this dumb job? They're not going to give you everything. No, no, no. Put that at the bottom. Okay, so what does that look like? It means, as I've illustrated already, it means if my job is third, it means that I will not take a job or I will not keep a job that does not permit me to take proper care of my wife and my children. I don't care how good a job it is. I'm not doing it because it's not as important to me as my wife and my children. And I'm not going to take a job nor, get ready now, nor am I going to put my wife and children above Christ and the church. I'm not going to do it. Now, let me ask you this. Or let me just say it. What I have observed in the church life, the actual priority of some brothers, the job is first, the family is second, Christ and the church is a distant third. If I can find any time for it, I might be able to occasionally make a meeting, but I, you know, I got a career. And um, yeah, trainings, I don't do those. Conferences, no, no time for that. Uh, you have just signed up for Satan's system. That's who you work for. You work for the devil. He doesn't look like the devil. He doesn't wear a red suit, but he is. Other people who I know in the church life, their actual priority is the family's first. The family's first. 
It's above the job. It's above Christ and the church. Family first. My, my, my family comes first. Then my job. Excuse me. Then, you know, I, I, it, to properly care for my family, uh, it takes pretty much all of my time. And then I have a job. You know, I got a job. So I just, you know, I can't do all that stuff in the church life. I can't, you know, I can't do that. Because I got to take care of my family. My, 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 my family. And we like to do stuff on the weekends. Me and my kids, you know. So we probably can't come to the meetings. Let me tell you what that is. That's a recipe for disaster. Not only will you not have a good family life, you won't. You're going to sacrifice the church life for your family life. That's why your family life is going to turn out real bad. <laughs> You're going to have a family life in the world. You want that? I'm telling you. And I do know some brothers one in particular, oh my goodness, man, he's got a really good job. But he has zero time for his family. His wife wants to divorce him. His kids hardly know him. There's no time for the church life. But boy, has he got a good job. He's a brother. His actual priority is, first my job, and actually for him, the family's third. First the job, then the church, then the family. Man, that's upside down. Don't you think so? I think that's upside down. Uh, I'm not telling you how to live your life. You, you, you have to decide that. Uh, but I would like to suggest that the best priority is Christ and the church mean everything. Second to Christ and the church, I am very much responsible for my marriage and my family. And I do need to work because I need to support my family and I need to give to the Lord and to his move. But I'm going to try to maintain that order. One, two, three. And I won't tell you that I've been entirely successful at maintaining that order, but I will tell you pretty much I have my whole life. So you know what the result is? I got a happy wife. I got happy children. I'm happy. Uh, we're all in the church life. We all live to the Lord. And I never, actually never had to worry about a job. I got really good jobs. And the last one was ridiculously good. You know why? Because I, I didn't live to it. I didn't live to it. Okay, how are we doing here? I got to stop. I'm going to stop. Because we, we got we got more meetings to go. I think that's good enough. I talked your ear off. <laughs>